0: You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. You've now tuned in to the Drawing Board Podcast, a powerful, thought provoking discussion where we talk about family, relationships, ministry, community, and career. Let's see what exciting guests we have on our show today. Thank you for tuning in to the Drawing Board Podcast. I am your host, Andre Ebron. The founder of The Drawing Board Nation, The Drawing Board Podcast, the author of The Drawing Board, and now my newly released book, Mind Your Business, Self-Care Strategies and Mindfulness Practices Designed to Reduce the Negative Effects of Stress. So listen, I don't want to spend too much time on the intro because tonight we have a very special guest. I always promise you all, quality guests with quality information and tonight is no difference. Tonight I bring to you Mr. Holler himself, State Representative Jewel Jones. Welcome to the show, my brother.
1: <laughs> hey, brother, how you doing?
0: Oh man, listen, I'm excellent. So I uh, just want to thank you first for taking the time to be on the Drawing Board podcast, man. It's a thought provoking. Uh, it challenges people to examine their life and reimagine the, the possibilities. So, man, tonight, listen. I just want to dive in brother and start talking about uh, your journey uh, from a young man who desired to be a spy to now who is a state representative making a huge difference in the nation. So you go from espionage to the legislature. Talk to me about that, my brother.
1: (laughs) Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And thanks for having me on. I think, you know, always looking forward to the conversation with you and I'm loving the energy. Um, I, I, I guess I started. Um, I guess I started wanting to be a spy, basically. I was attracted to those different, uh, the whole different lifestyle. But um, of course, you know, as I continued to get older and, and learn about different things and talk to more people and build that particular kind of way, um, it just all changed. I was task oriented. I found out, and as soon as I got the opportunity to get a thirst for for politics and for community service, because my parents always had me involved. Um, you know, they always dragged me around in the church, and the community, doing different things. Um, that's when, you know, I picked up the mantle to go ahead and, and say, you know what, I could get involved because people told me that I could. I believed it was possible. Um, and I still for a long time or for a few years had those remnants of wanting to to be a spy. I wanted to go and travel the world and do all these different things. Um, but, you know, I really fall in love with politics in the process. You know, I get to serve my neighbors now in a capacity where I never imagined it's nothing I dreamed of. Um, and it's really just a blessing and an honor to be able to just give back. And I'm something that's something that I I know that you're familiar with, even with this platform that you have now. You're able to you know drop wisdom and knowledge off to people and give other people an opportunity to speak up and, and highlight you know the work and the services that they're providing to the people. And and that's just really what I just love to do now. And so you know, it went from wanting to serve the people in one capacity to now. Um, being able to serve them in a capacity where um, it's so much more rewarding, and I and I have no regrets at all.
0: Yeah, that's excellent. Uh, I remember Brother Duo that when we first met, uh, I had dragged my son uh, down to Lansing uh, for the MBK. It was an MBK event, and it was bright early in the morning. too. I think it was a bright early Saturday. And I made him get up dressed, and um, this was several years ago. And uh, one of the, one of the uh, benefits for him attending was he had an opportunity to meet you. And, uh, and I'm sure you have heard this before, um, but I just want to reiterate again. Um, man, you serving in the capacities that you serve as a police officer, uh, seeing you in uniform in the Army uh, as, a, as a state representative, As a community member and entrepreneur, uh, I feel, my brother, that you give promise to the generations to come, to the youth, right? And so, and and you also, in the same breath, give hope to our elders that the things that they deposited in our youth will have that trickle-down effect. It will be bequeathed and that all is not lost, right? So with the world in a constant state of change, man, I have to ask you this question because I hear so many people... Uh, saying, listen, we got to fight the good fight of faith, and we absolutely must do that. Uh, they talk about we got to make sure we get in the fight, and we must absolutely do that. They talk about we must continue to fight, but Brother Jewel, from your perspective, what is the fight?
1: Well, hey, the fight the fight right now just is a, it's a fight for our lives. I mean, even today when, uh, you know, for me, I've, I've been tied up uh, heavily with this campaign, uh, figuring out how do we get good people elected in office from the top of the ticket all the way to the bottom of the ticket. And quite frankly, I mean, dealing with things from mayors to governors, to, you know, legislators, to presidents, to judges. um, These are people that, I mean, to police officers, anyone that's in a position of authority, really, uh, we have to, my, my entire thing right now is being an advocate for people and making sure that people that are in positions of authority are not misusing or abusing um, the power that people have entrusted to them and and so i think the fight right now is just a fight for our lives and it's something that we have to win it is it's no room for failure um when dealing with this game right now because i mean as we look around the world not much has changed from the beginning of time uh things just put on different faces things put on different uh uniforms people you know it, it, things change locations but we've been fighting um uh, this enemy of of oppression um, we can talk about systemic oppression we can talk about. Um, the prejudice and the racism and the hatred we can talk about the red line and we can talk about all these different things that has been happening for a long time um but it's not so much about what the what the fight is it's about what's the solution um right and so the solution really just figuring out how do we really build a consensus and build community, or at least a sense of community. Um, Because, you know, if we can unite, it doesn't mean we all have to agree. But if we can at least come together to say, hey, we're all suffering um, the same kind of problem from the same common enemy. Let's go ahead and get together so we can put forth a solution. I mean, a concerted effort where we all will be able to eradicate um, this pandemic that we've been experiencing our entire lives from before us. And then once that's solved, we won't have to worry about fighting so much. You know, we'll we'll be able to just flourish and thrive. Um, But these are some of the things where uh, we have to really focus on a change of mind and a change of hearts in our community. And that's sometimes one of the most difficult things to do, only because we're all in our own silos. We're all experiencing so many issues, you know, and societal pressures now where we don't even know really how to even formulate what's happening to us. Because it's almost... You know, it's so inhumane uh, the way that things happen and it's so discreet almost where you, you might you might be getting um, oppressed or you might be getting, um, you know, experiencing prejudice and stuff like that. And you don't even know it um, because that's just the way the system is. You think it's just the way life is supposed to be when essentially it's really not. Um, when we go back to the beginning of the time and, and know that, you know, we are all are guys and we're, we're supposed to be um, living and, and loving and serving you know one another. And so um, once we, we come into our consciousness, I think that's when we shift away from the fight towards uh, the fight for our lives to just living, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love what you said. You said the question shouldn't just be about what is the fight, but the real question should be about what is the solution and that we all can unite, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to agree. It just means that we must build a system community and come together for what's best for our common good. Now question, I have a question for you. In, in an age where it is extremely individualistic, right? How do we begin or what institutions are responsible? I, I, I have a question. What institutions are majorly responsible for advancing the narrative and building a mindset shift for people of color, specifically Black people?
1: Well, you know, once again, I say that that's, I mean, that's definitely an excellent question we want to, if we had, when we're in front of, of, of course, on a platform, because we're going to have people that's going to hear this as a part of a particular organizations that are supposed to be putting forth the good effort for people of color and Black people specifically. But I, once again, reword the question to say, um, It's not so much about the institution, but about the individuals. And so um, you cannot rely, uh, even today. So you have people um, going to speak out against different things. You have people destroying things and, and riots and everything is fine in this place. You know, emotions have to come out in some form or fashion. But at the end or the system that has been oppressing you to solve or resolve the problem that they are, have been dishing out to you for all of this time. And so it's not so much on the institution because the institutions have done their job. Maybe the institutions are good at bringing the people together. Or maybe they're good at um, having an annual big dinner with chicken and stuff and feeding the people, you know. But at some time, you have to realize that you have to take your destiny into your own hand and the destiny of your people into your own hand. And so it might just take one person um, really leading the effort to show these organizations, these institutions, exactly what to do. Um, But for right now, the institutions just need to be able to meet the people where they're at. So if you have people that's actually on the ground, actually doing the work who need help. And we see this so many times. I mean, from the work that you've been doing, I'm sure you've seen it. Um, Even with Dave at Enjoy Detroit, for example, you know, we we all see so much that people are doing. We see so many problems that people are going through. Until we really um, break our power and our authority and our resources down to that level, we can truly affect individuals. Um, and not the same individuals that constantly get served, the same individuals that's constantly getting praised. But when we get everybody on the same page and everyone realizes just how great they are, we will not have to worry about the institutions. They'll be fine in their place, but the people is where the true power lies. And so if we can really um, get a handle on taking control and ownership um, as individuals. I believe that's when... Um, you know the institutions, the organizations, the, the the structures, the infrastructure that are is already in place will follow.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. When the I believe when the people change, the institutions will change, right? And so one of the things that uh, I like that you lofted there, uh, it it definitely coincides with the principle that there is no replacement. Uh, for individual responsibility, I can hear my elders uh, screaming in my ear. Uh, the Mahalia Jackson song that says "Sweep around your own front door," right? And so we have uh, a, an extreme responsibility, I believe, to make sure that your your four corners, your door, that you've handled those things responsibly, and then that qualifies you to lead in other places, right? Because uh, Bishop Jake said it like this: He said, "Family." is the gym that love works out in, right? So when you, when, you, when you master those things or you grow to a place of maturity in your family, then you're now equipped to go to the community because you have something to deposit. Here's the question that I have for you, uh, Brother Joel. When we get ready, uh, there's a quote that I, I heard you say in one interview. You said, I don't only like to fight, I like to win, right? So when we talk about building capacity in our youth, Man, how do we teach them to win? Like, you know, I know scripture, scripture tells us uh, who we are. Right. And that's a good basis for us to start, that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people called to show forth his praise in the earth, that we're the first and not the last above and not beneath. All of those things. How do we translate that into actionable items to be able to build a winning edge for our youth? I can hear you.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I think the biggest thing for sure is we have to realize, you know, that we have to meet these young people where they're at um, without a doubt. Um, a lot of times we, we want to, you know, put so much pressure on young people to tell them exactly what it is that they need to do um, without even figuring out what they're passionate about, you know, wh- where their mind is, what they're thinking about, um, where you know what problems do they think exist, and how do they think they can fix it? So, a lot of times, I feel like it's through that conversation um, you can let them know, and and it's just a certain approach that you take to get to them. Because um, I think, really, at the end of the day, no matter who you are, as humans, um, and as children of God, we're all connected. But as humans, you 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 have a thirst for a connection uh, with other humans, and if you can uh, do anything to cultivate a meaningful relationship. With the young person, I believe that um, through that they'll be able to, you know, realize the greatness that's inside them because that's something that you you have to you have to put inside them. It's something that you um, you grow, uh, and it starts at an early age. And that's why, like you just said about the family, it's so critical, it's so important um, because if they're not getting as a child, and I believe it's was Frederick Douglass, he said it's um, easier to build boys and repair broken men. It's something along that lines um, because you know by the time someone gets older and they've been stuck in the ways and they might be depressed or might not feel like they're um able to do anything or they can't accomplish anything it's much harder to convince them that they can and, you know compared to if they were a child and, and from an early age you gave them resources to do stuff you put them on the platform and the pedestal tell them they were kings and queens and and that's what we had to get more in the mindset of and so Of course, we can't forget about the ones that's already teenagers or our grownups. But we have to really just start investing in our young people at an early age, you know, regardless if it's about, you know, telling them about their history with the royal priesthood and and telling them that they're peculiar people, you know, also teaching them the home economics things that have been pulled out of school, teaching them about financial literacy, teaching them about uh, why it's important to open. It's important to say no. Mannerable. Um, you know, why it's important to study the word, um, regardless if you don't have to take it literally, but just for it to be a guide, because that's one of the best stories uh, that we'll ever read. And, and so I think that's how we do it is just by starting at an early age. Um, but once again, the people that have already, you know, reached the age where it's much more difficult to uh, to change them or to help improve their condition is not a lost cause. But we have to make sure that um, as soon as possible, we always focus on them when they, you know, are fresh out the room. The same way that if you talk to a gardener, they sing to their plants, right? They they massage the plants. They make sure the temperature is is the right way, you know, the right way. They they provide light therapy for the plants. It's the same thing you have to do for a child, because uh, if not, they might not grow to be as healthy as they possibly could be.
0: Absolutely. So, man, we've talked about your work in the community. We talked about your commitment. Uh, your willingness to meet people where they are. I just want to talk about you as a brother, my brother, Jewel. man. I see you doing, some. Uh, I see you doing some uh, self-care uh, with making sure that your mind where, you know, uh, you're hanging out and taking the, the chance to relax, man. Talk to me about, uh, while it is important to give back, like how important is it that with your position as a state rep, a, a son, a uncle? Oh yeah. I saw, I saw you, uh, being uncle, man. And I saw the pride <laughs> on your face. I, I saw it, Oh yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But with, look, with all of the different roles that you play and the different responsibilities, how important has self-care been in this process?
1: You know, I, I think, I think it's definitely important. And for, for a long time, I was not participating in what people would, or what I've grown to, you know, figure out what self-care was. Cause like, you know, I, I was very, because of the way that I was brought up, I was extremely strong-willed in the belief that, you know, everything is always okay. That um, nothing would ever go wrong, and even and I'm I'm the same way to this day. And I believe it's a it's an, a powerful attribute. Um, no, you know, no matter where I find myself, no no matter what condition it, it I'm in, I'm always optimistic about it. You know, I I could work a whole lot and not get sleep or you know, answer a a lot of requests and not take care of myself or feed people while I'm starving. And I always know that it's going to work out uh, for me. But at the same time, you know, as I continue to get older, I think because as humans, we're task oriented, I've just bought into the concept that self-care is indeed important. And from exposing myself to those experiences, um, like Inception, the place that I go to where I do like brain training and flow therapy, uh, to even just chilling at home and listening to music or enjoying a good meal, um, or, or simple conversation with folks, just taking a, a break out of the day, just to have a talk with, talk with someone. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You might, you know, I would never say that someone, uh, that everyone gets to a point where they break, but you can potentially get to a point where you lose interest in something because of the burden that it carries with it. And so as, as much as possible, um, uh, if you're really passionate about something, you really love to do it like the way that I love to give back and I love to serve. But uh, many times you know, I get calls 24 hours out the day, you know, one of them 24 hours, you know, I got to make sure that I'm I'm squeezing myself in there at all, you know, at some at some point in time, because I, I don't want to be in, in bad shape and not be able to respond to the request of somebody or not be able to help out someone in need because I'm not able to uh, to do it. And so I found that the more that I take care of myself, the more effective and efficient I am for other people. And and even though I thought I was doing a lot when I was busy and I was wearing myself out, I can get so much more accomplished uh, when I'm in the right state of mind, after I've had some good sleep, you know, after I've had some good conversations. And I think that's um, why it's important to take care of yourself because you can be so far ahead of where you are today um, by taking a little time just to rejuvenate your body and your mind and
0: your soul, so absolutely. So, man, as you as you take this journey uh, toward getting reelected, um, I got to tell you, man, what really touched my heart, brother. I saw you sitting in the living room of of an elder, and uh, she picked up the phone and let it be known that you were sitting in her living room. And uh, what I when I saw her. The thoughts that I did, the thought that I immediately had was, I wonder what she could teach me, you know, uh, because there's so much wealth in our elders that has yet to be transferred, man. So, uh, with that frame of thought, like knowing that it's important that we don't forsake our oral traditions of sitting at the feet of our elders and gleaning uh, that wisdom we call the old because they're wise, the young because they're strong. Brother Joel, share with me, man, what is one of the, uh, in, in the sake of you sitting at the elders' feet, man, what is one, one of the most powerful lessons, if you could just pull one, one of the most powerful lessons that you've been able to glean from our elders that has really impacted your life?
1: You know what I would say? Uh, one of the most powerful lessons I probably had to say was that, uh, what would it be? It probably would just be to keep running, to don't stop running. Um, and I, that actually was from a conversation uh, with Dick Gregory one time when I called him to a radio show in California um, and he was on the line. And and that's when uh, he first found out about me running for office. And I think that um, just by listening to that and other things as they say, even with the young lady yesterday, she's 98 years old when I was sitting, you know, sitting in her living room and she was telling me about different things that she do. Every day that our routine, you know how she's gotten to where she's got. I think that whenever you sit at the feet of an elder, uh, the things that they talk about uh, is all, it's always progressive. It's something that's always conducive to our growth, um, as as long as you utilize it. Um, because for some for some odd reason, right, they made it to where they're at, and I have never been there. And I and I, it's no way for me to share the same experiences they've had. And they've been my age before and they've been many other ages that I haven't been. And so it only makes sense uh, to take their words um, and and take what I can. And I I believe, you know, another older person told me before to always keep a rake and a shovel with you. And you always rake in the things that are good and you shovel the things that are not good. And, you know, I find myself many times thinking like that, regardless, I'm dealing with an elderly person or someone who's even younger than me. Because you can get a word from anybody, uh, but it de- depends always how you apply that word. I think that's one of the most um, wonderful things when you're dealing with an elderly person is that the words they give you are life-sustaining. You just have to figure out, you know, when and where to apply it in your life. Uh, and if apply successfully, um, because I believe we're supposed to always do better than the ones before us. You should be able to be um, at a place even better than where that elder was. And that's something that they want you to do. But in order for you to do that, you have to take um, those words with you on your journey and the words of others, because that's going to help you prevent yourself from bumping your head along the, the, the adventure of life. And I think that's just, you know, what I've learned just from all of them is just to listen. You know, don't. You don't have to talk so much sometimes. Just sit there, shut your mouth, and and listen to what they have to say and know that it's going to work together for your benefit, you know?
0: Absolutely, man. So taking that wisdom that you've learned, uh, whether it be from a young person or elder or throughout life or being involved in the church or the community. Oh, yeah, man, one time I heard you say you got a little bit bit of thump in you, man, that you was a percussionist, that you could apply something to the drum. I I don't I don't know. I got to see what kind of cops you're working with, man. I got to see what kind <laughs> yeah, of some pressure with for shop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, but uh with with all of that in mind, um and you're on this campaign campaign run of keep running, um and of course, I'm just going to say as you get reelected uh this, you know, this coming term, uh, man, my my question to you, brother, especially doors and dollars. I heard you say that that's what campaigning is all about, doors and dollars. Um, moving forward, man, every great leader, of course, you acknowledge your predecessors, but my question is, who are you pulling along as your successor? Because I know I know you're getting ready to go in there and, and rec shop and, and represent, but who? what successes are you building, man? Who's waiting in the wings?
1: Uh, brother, it sounds like you done did your research bringing up the dollars and doors from the campaign. You are extremely thorough. <laughs> But, um,
0: oh yes, you know,
1: <laughs> but you know, I've, I I think you know succession plan is extremely uh, imp- is important for me, and I think from day one I've been very critical on that, and so I have a I have an entire army of individuals that I'm pulling up now. The the thing to figure out now though is to weed through um, everyone that's been you know groomed up to this point to figure out who fits the mold uh, for the office. Um, for me, for you know, in particular, figuring out how am I going to make this thing sustainable? I'm going to create a pipeline for the future, and not to say that any particular person is the mode more than another, um, but just finding the person that meets, you know, the, the certain conditions that can that allow you to be an officer. You know, living in the district, right? Being of age, different things like that. Because we have people of all different ages, people from all different backgrounds, from all different places, and so finding the right person, that, the right person that at least meets the, you know, the, the basic criteria, and then knowing what I've did my best to instill them, on what they've gotten from other individuals, uh, that's going to be the people that I'm looking to really pour into over these next couple years as I transition out. Um, because I think at any point in time, you should be trying to bring people along. You should be trying to build the team so you can create a community where everyone um, is trying to work together, create change, working on the few people that we basically worked with to get, you know, on city councils that we worked with to get elected to other positions that we work with who are business leaders or who are community organizers or activists. Um, now is just the time to, to figure out who's really passionate about that, who really wants to do this, because no matter how many people you bring along, uh, everyone just doesn't have the same thirst. And that's why it's so important to meet people there and figure out what they really would like to do. And when you find that out, that's where you have to, you know, no matter what your dreams or goals or ideas of what people should be, um, you should never put that on people um, because you want to make sure that they're able to enjoy and love what they do, because that'll be the best way that they'll be able to impact and influence this world. And so um, we'll know soon, though. We'll know soon. But we've definitely been building an army of individuals. Um, to take over because even myself, I'm 25 now. I started this journey when I was like 19. So I feel like it's time for me to transition out and bring in the next generation to change. And I believe that's what we need more of. We don't need to get used to, you know, being complacent and sitting in different offices and roles for a long time. We need to figure out how do we pass that torch. Um, This is a a relay race. And people say a lot of times it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, but it's really a relay race. It's it's not for you to hold up the time. Um, for forever you know it's t- eventually at some some point in time you need to pass it off to somebody else who, who's got good legs so they can keep running the race you know
0: that's good I'm gonna have to quote you on that man it's not a sprint yeah. not a marathon it's a relay race uh yes, man listen I always think I always think about uh when people come on my show uh I always think about a challenge that I can issue them right and so I don't know what you call it. You call your next group of successors or uh, the think tank that you're building, man. But I saw uh, two V's, man. Uh, uh, uh vested and betted. Those two things. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. And so, yes, sir. Uh, yeah. So those two things that it, it matters a lot because when someone vested, it, it speaks to their commitment uh, to give of themselves. They got skin in the game. They're, they they right. made some type of sacrifice which positions them greatly to, to, to impact and change. And embedded means that your character is on point, uh, right. that you not only stand before the people, but that you represent the people. So uh, I think that that's huge, man. Now, here's what I got to ask you, brother. One of the things that as we are in this election season, man, how important is the black vote?
1: Uh, I mean, the black vote is extremely important, especially once we learn how to how to use it strategically. Um, I, I believe the black vote, uh, the, the, the the vote of color, the millennial vote, all votes are extremely important, but people have to figure out how do we use it um, in unison. And so with the black vote in, in, in particular, um, if we just learn how to come together, we could determine elections. You know, we could put people in office. We can run our own candidates. Uh, we, can, we can make sure that once the candidates in office that they work on the issues that we want them to work on. But because... For so long, uh, other forces have successfully divided us and, and kept us apart um, and encouraged us not to come together. Uh, we find ourselves in a position where we are not able to come together, even when, even when the time calls for it. You know, we we got people out here getting slaughtered and lynched um, constantly. We have brothers and sisters out here living on the streets. We have brothers and sisters out here, um, you know, going through abusive relationships. We have brothers and sisters out here who are not getting the treatment that they need. And many of these things could be repaired and, and fixed and, and healed if we just figured out how to get on the same page and help one another out. But we're not there yet. And so while the black boat is extremely powerful, um we just still have to figure out how do we use it. You know.
0: Yeah, definitely. So when you bring up a very interesting point of the how-tos, right? Um, I listen to, I've listened to a lot of people. I've been around a lot of community organizers, pastors, preachers. uh, been around politicians. Question for you, man: Who's teaching us how, as opposed to just telling us what?
1: Um, well, yeah, I think that uh, a lot of people are teaching us. And, and what I, even even from early when I said young people can teach you, older people can teach you, or seasoned folk can teach you. We had to figure out not so much who's teaching us, but what can we glean from individuals. And so, you know, through observation and paying attention to folks, is so much that you can learn. You can learn about the right way to do things. You can learn about the wrong way to do things. You can learn about new way of doing things. Um, but it, it takes you having some sort of commitment or some sort of passion um, to want to learn. And that's where we had to, you know, even with our young people, the question you asked earlier: um, How do we get them to realize their greatness? uh, it's just, it's discipline. You know, you have to be willing to, to put forth an effort to create change. Um, I, I believe Dave, Dave had a quote, um, some years ago, he released that says, don't wait for opportunity to create it. And so don't, don't wait till you go to school to want to learn, you know, while you're at home, while you're at church, while you're in the community, while you're on zoom, while you're on social media, you know, be intentional about the things that you're doing. And, and through that, you can learn yourself about everything that someone could teach you somewhere, everything that could be in a book, you can pull it all yourself, but you have to be intentional about the way that you're doing things. Uh, Because everyone's teaching us. The world is teaching us, but we have to pay attention.
0: Yeah, I I concur. Um, Two things that you brought up. You were also quoted, uh, someone was asking you, uh, you know, what do we do about encouraging people to vote? We got to get people out to vote. And you said that what you look to do is to meet them where they are and cultivate relationships. And once you cultivate relationship, then that it's up to that person when they come to that certain level of consciousness or awareness. Right. So uh, how is it that uh, in the community when uh, a lot of people are losing trust in the process, p- particularly uh, losing trust in leaders, losing trust in, in systems? Uh, and really, we're at a junction where no one seemingly has a definite answer. People have <laughs> right. great ideas. You know, great ideas and solutions. And I'll be honest, uh, even in times past, no one really had a definite answer. They just presented the answer in definite ways. (laughs) So so whether it was by faith or whether it was just uh, somebody who had hopes and dreams, whatever it was, how do we begin to unmask the truth during this time to realize that we really are where we always have been, and that the, there's hope there to move forward because like COVID-19, uh, brother, brother Jewel really just exposed, uh, what was there. Right. Right. It, 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 so, so now being that we are where we always have been, uh, how do we begin to build that path moving forward based upon self-awareness and consciousness?
1: Well, I think based on those things, uh, after we came, came into our consciousness, after we've become self-aware, I think that's when uh, some of that stuff becomes second nature at that point in time. I mean, you, you talk about the pandemic, for example, you look at the Flint crisis, um, if we want to talk about that just for one hot second when people needed help. Um, then we look at the pandemic. Now, the Flint crisis was predominantly black people, right? Now we look at the pandemic where now everyone's affected, and there's more white people than black people. And then we look at the, the United States Treasury uh, just create money out of nowhere um, because they believe they have a crisis on their hand. And so now many people now look at that as a slap in the face because we could have done this years ago when it was time to fix pipes in Flint, when it was time to make people whole, when it was time to uh, provide health care for people. And so I think the, the key is once you know where you're at and you know that you've always been there, now it's evident that you have to create change. And if you don't do it, that's on you. Right. You, you know, exactly. You know what's going on now. You know that anything is possible. You know that anything can happen. And you know that there are people out there that can move, you know, that can push the envelope and move things forward. And so if you don't hold people accountable, if you don't um, go out and take things into your own hands, a lot of times things are not going to change. And, and when you get to a point where you don't want to change or you don't want to put forth an effort to change you shouldn't be talking about anything. And, you know, in terms of complaining, you shouldn't be, um, c- you know, crying about why things are how they are, because at the end of the day, as we said earlier, you have to be in charge of your own destiny. Um, and, and I think that those stories reign true out here for, for anyone. I think we've all came from interesting situations um, and, and, quite frankly, rose to places where many people in our families or many people in our communities um, have not met. and and But the key now, since we know that it's possible to get to these places, we have to figure out how that generation coming after us is going to surpass us. Um, because if we have someone that reaches the same point that we are at, if I get someone just to become a state representative, right, that means that I've essentially failed. Because we've done this before, right? We have to we have to go beyond uh where we are today to get a different solution. And I I think that's what that means. You know, we we can't. Once we know that something is achievable, once we know that something can happen, we need to guarantee it happening and then guarantee um, us propelling ourselves to the next level.
0: Yeah, no, I I fully agree. And uh, I have this quote, it says, awareness invokes responsibility. And so there's a lot of people who, who would like to stay unaware because once you are aware, it invokes a responsibility to act. Just like truth demands a response. When you are confronted with the truth, there's only really two options: to embrace it, accept it, or to reject it. And, and that rejection of truth, that rejection of truth, generally leads to something destructive. But the, to embrace the truth generally leads to revelation. It leads to unburdening us of what the lies have told us. And then also, what truth does is it propels you. Right? Once you embrace truth, truth it moves you forward. It's active. It's dynamic. It's alive. And you and I know that truth is a person, right? Right, so, right. Yeah. Yeah, so truth, truth moves you forward. So in, in talking about moving forward and uh, talking about the agendas that exist, uh, there's this, this, this um, narrative out there about uh, needing to con- deconstruct systems that were oppressive and to create new narratives. Where are you at in that space? Now you embody that, uh, deconstructing old systems and building new narratives, uh, what what is that new narrative that we should be building?
1: Well, right now the new narrative is just that. Um, I mean, it, it's so many narratives uh, that you could talk about. You could talk about um, that black men are kings. You could talk about that that black women are queens. That um, children are our future. That it takes a village to raise a child. Um, you'll even be you can even recreate some of the things that are, have already been present. The, the focus at the end of the day, though, is uh, remembering that words are power. So everything that we say, you got to remember that, you know, once it leaves our lips, I, I believe it was Minister Farrakhan for the Million Man March. He said that when he said that when he spoke to the crowd and said that a million man would be, um, at, you know, at the mall in Washington, D.C., that he's seen the words come out of his mouth. And in the Nation of Islam, for example, they believe that your words are bond and bond is life. And so before your words fell, you would have to give your life. And so he knew that once he spoke those words, it had to happen. And so I think that's the place where we have to get when we become software, when we become uh, conscious, we have to, you know, actually remember that the things that we say uh, are, are are real and they're true. And so since we have that much of power, we need to figure out, you know, we need to be saying things that are conducive towards life, that are conducive towards the community, that are conducive towards the overall growth and uplift uh, in this particular uh, form of the black man, and the black woman. Uh, and then, you know, not to say that we don't love everybody else, but we had to get to a place where we realized that by black people being better, um, the world is better. Cause when we look around at the, the, the edifices around us, the, the, the streets, right? The buildings, the schools, the hospitals, um, the churches, we built this, right? And so when the creators and the artisans and the, you know, and the leaders actually, um, are taken care of and well taken care of, And we are able to be loved by our own people. Imagine how we can spread that love and that peace and that unity um, back to everybody else. Um, And and that's when the remarkable change happens. Um, But that's just what we Mm. have to remember, the words of power,
0: you know. Yes, sir. Unpack that for me, Brother Joel. Remarkable change. What does that look like?
1: Remarkable change, my brother, is when we get to the promised land, the land of milk and honey. And I think a lot of times, you know, people think about heaven and hell and they think it's a place. Um, that's above the moons and the sky and the clouds or hell might be a place under our feet. But we have to realize that those are conditions or states of mind. And so uh, when we talk about heaven and hell, we have to um, look at it in terms, you know, when you're having a bad day, when something is going on, you might be in hell. But when you're having a good day, we're on top of the world, you're in heaven. And so we can have heaven right here on earth. And that's what the remarkable change looks like. It looks like us being able to walk um, around and not be concerned about anything bad happening in life. About us to be able to live, um, without our bones aching, right? Without any issues with our body, um, because it's just a beautiful thing when you, um, are walking, um, the walk that we were intended to walk. You know, it, it's almost like it, there's a force field around you where, um, certain things just don't affect you. You, you know, and that's that's the remarkable change. But it, it takes each every one of us to get there. You know, it's a lot we have to do uh, for eternal life and all these different things that the scripture tells us about, but it's possible. And if we all can realize it's possible, we all can at least put an effort um, towards reaching that mark. I believe that's when we we see that remarkable change happen,
0: you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I'm in full alignment with you there, my brother. Uh, when you talk about mindsets, when you talk about states of thinking and conditions, uh, I think it's important, man, that we continue to remind people that during this time where so much chaos happening, that we must protect our minds, uh, that we must guard our heart with all diligence, for out of it shall flow the issues of our life. And Great. so uh, we have to be careful. We got to be careful what we're ingesting, right? We have to right. be careful what we allow to go before our eye gates, ear gates, because eventually it'll come out of our mouth and it'll grow up, spring up, and produce an abundant harvest in our life, whatever that is. So. Yeah, man. I want to on 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 another note, man. You got to bring me into the holler movement, man. I, <laughs> see, I see I see you out here. I see you out here handing out chains, bro. Listen, what? <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so talk to me, man. Listen. Of course, you don't. We gonna shout it out before you get off off the line. But talk to me about holler, man. What what is the genesis of it? How did how did it come about? What is holler?
1: Well, you know, so I didn't create the word. The word has been around, of course, for a long time, but just sometime in 2015, when I was running for city council, I just started using it and it became a hashtag that I, I, you know, it's on all my posts, all my statuses. It's a word that I use now that when I'm out of events, you know, sometimes people don't even know my name, but they can call me Mr. It's children that call me Mr. Holla, stuff like that. Uh, And it's now just become a social experiment to see, you know, what, how many people can I get to say this word? You know, how many people can I get to to embrace um, this phrase? And it, it's it's a relative term. It, you know, it's not abbreviation. It doesn't mean anything, particularly It just means all good things. And so uh, it's just like a happy word that I use now uh, when people, you know, people come up with happy words, come with things that just, you know, talk about like utopia, euphoric, you know, all these, all these wonderful positive words. Holla is just that for me. You know, um, it's a greeting. It's a feeling. It's an action you know it's a verb um it's just a just to holler you know
0: <laughs> yeah i mean one of the reasons that i love it man is because uh you take that swag where, wherever you go so whether it is whether it is to the cap uh whether it's to forbes and and people are in you know prestigious suits or whether it's to the hood where you know people are timmed up and sneaked up uh no matter what, what it is, you got everybody around the nation screaming, holla! <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah man, so listen, I, I definitely appreciate, um man, you coming on tonight. And I just want to loft it to you, man, last words to the drawing board nation and community. What what do you have to say, my brother?
1: Well, brother, I just want to say thank you for having me on, man. It's been a pleasure to just enjoy your energy for, you know, for these these minutes. Um, uh, but I would just tell anybody, like we say, anything is possible. You know, perception is reality. So anything that you believe in your mind, you can make it happen. Um, it's a quote that says mental visuals visualization coupled with a hard work ethic can make you unstoppable. And I think it's so important to remember that um because you can do anything in this world you want. The world is yours for the taking. Um, especially if you do it in a righteous manner where um, you're not looking to get over on anybody or do anything bad. Um, because we all everybody can eat. You know, was it what, what movie was that? Uh, what movie? How just forget the movie with uh Mitch and Ace and and, and uh Cameron played in it. But he say like, everybody eats B or something like that. You know, it's possible for it for it to happen like that. But we all have to be on the same page. And so, um, I would just say those two things: perceptions, reality, and anything is possible. So, my brother, a hey, oh, real good, real good. Um, but yeah, but just thanks for having me on, brother. Of course, looking forward to building with you more and more uh because we got some we got some remarkable things to do.
0: Absolutely. Yes sir. So again, drawing board nation salutes you. We're praying for you, man. And uh we're standing with you as you get ready to embark upon this next victory. And uh again, man, we're gonna end this show like you would you would do it uh any other time. So on three we just gonna scream holla. So one, two, three, holla. <laughs> All right, my brother. All right, peace and love, brother.